Welcome to the Flaps Podcast. And we're celebrating. We are one today. One what? One pair of idiots? No. One sandwich over picnic? No. One, two, one decimal five? No, Elliot. We're one year old today. Oh, yes, of course. And I've got you a present. Well, I've got you one too. Should we open them now? No, 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 no. At the end of the podcast, Elliot. Oh, all right, Dad. Uh, anyway, in this July 2011 edition of Flaps... Because it's our birthday, we've got a pop group here. Have we? Are we having yeah. a disco? No, no, no. Not one, but two celebrity pilots. Hi, I'm Richard. I'm the bass player in The Feeling. I'm Dan. I'm the singer in The Feeling, and we're this month's celebrity pilots. Elliot visits the car park at Manchester Airport. <laughs> no, no. Not the car park. I've been oh. dogging again. No, I'll go into the, uh, the, I've gone to the runway visitor park at Manchester Airport. Not the car park. <laughs> OK, fair enough. Hear from that in a bit. Uh, we uh, speak to a record breaking pilot who's visited 68 airfields in one day. Big news from our pet PPL. And Pablo Mason tells us that we should be nicer to each other. Oh, very fierce, very competitive, very grr. All that on the way in the next half hour right here on the Birthday Bonanza Flaps podcast. Celebrity pilot. As it's our birthday, it's not one but two celebrity pilots. Kind of celebrity pilot double bubble. Who have we got, Mark? We've got the feeling. The Feeling are a Brit Award-nominated English pop band from West Sussex and London. The band categorised their music as pop. Following a limited release of their first single, Film A Little World... Mark, in, Mark, can I, can I just hop in, in here? I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but are you going to read the entire Wikipedia article yes, as an introduction? Yeah. yeah, but we haven't got very long. Should we get on and speak to The Feeling? Dan Gillespie-Sells and Richard Jones. Hello, Dan. Hi, how you And doing? hello, Richard. Hello. Now, Dan flies uh, rotary machines, don't you? I do. Well, yes, occasionally. Well, once I did. Well, once, OK. <laughs> R- Richard is uh, a fixed-wing pilot, aren't you, Richard? I'm learning. Yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, and um, how are you both doing? All right? Very good. Yeah, well, not bad. Specifically with the flying? Well, or, well, <laughs> or generally? Let's be more generally. polite than that. Let's say generally. How are you doing generally? Generally, we're good. We're in, in the middle of promoting our album. And uh, we thought we'd pop in here to talk about flying because it's way more interesting than our, our music. Well, if you want to, you better mention the album just once then, otherwise we'll, we'll forget about it. Yes, it's it. called Together We Were Made. And it was out on uh, the 20th of June. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's great. That's that kind of done now. And we can no, just talk about the interesting We can be stuff. really geeky and talk about <laughs> yeah. flying. So, Dan, why have you only been flying in a helicopter once? We, we thought you were a bit of an ace chopper pilot. No, no, I've, I did quite a lot of, um, I did quite a lot of classes. Um, I got as far as doing auto rotation and, cool. and various things and, and ran out of money. But I, what happened was I bought this pub in the East End and we've turned it into a recording studio. And um, basically with the amount of money that I spent on that, <laughs> I kind of ran out. But I will go back to it. I'm saving up as wait, we speak. I'm wait. saving up. So that's a lesson then to anyone thinking of learning to fly a helicopter. Even the lead singer of a band can't afford to do it. It's that expensive. It's ridiculous. My poor instructor's kind of waiting at Passanger Airfield for me to come back. You know, like... Kind of <laughs> well, got... So how many hours have you got then, Dan? Um, I don't know. How many, how many do you need before you get to auto-rotation? It was like... Um... I think about 15 or something like okay, that. Okay, that's so not bad. It's not bad. I was and getting ha- there. And have you auto-rotated? I have auto-rotated and it's incredibly scary. I was going to say, that must be the scariest <laughs> thing you can imagine, surely. It, well, do you know what? It's actually very peaceful. You kind of flutter down. You know, it, I kind of thought this this kind of, I thought this kind of crazy noise would happen or something. And actually it just goes very quiet and you just hear this and you're just kind of falling out of the sky. But it's, it's, um, it's actually very peaceful and you have a lot more control than you think. You're basically still controlling the speed. You can still 
still control the the rotor speed. It's just that the the you're looking at the the you know the the engine speed indicator and it's just gone. You know, mm. it's just nothing there, and it's just the rotor. Is, but you've still got all the rest of the gauges are still working perfectly well, and it's just it just feels really lovely actually. So, yeah. Richard, how 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 far through your training are you? I'm about I've got I've done about thirty hours dual and about two solo now, and I'm just on to learning nav. Right, Which okay. I'm enjoying out of Denham. Is it really difficult to fit in around all the band stuff? Because obviously you've got that, all the band things that are going on, and then of course there's the weather. Yeah, it has, and it's been a particularly bad winter, hasn't it? I mean, we um, I started my training last August and got to solo by about October, and then after that, I just I was having like seven week layoffs in a row. Um, two or three of those where I just I flew about two hours, I think, in two months. Um, but it's just, it's just, so between the weather and between the work with the band, um, it's tough, but you know, I love it. So when I find time. Are you in America a lot? Because, uh, well, obviously the weather's a lot better and you could learn over there. Well, yeah, I have heard that. We haven't been over for a while, but, um, yeah, a lot of people do that. Then they go to Florida or Los Angeles or whatever. And that would be, I'd love to do that. So Dan, what you need to do is you need to get off helicopters onto fixed wing. And then when you both pass, you can buy yourself a jet. You've got captain and first officer and you can fly the band around. Exactly. And we can just do it. That'd be amazing. I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking I might do that. I might switch. So have you got anywhere in mind for your first trip when you pass? Because people usually have an idea of where they want to fly for their first trip. Well, definitely the Isle of Wight. I know I went down to um, Shoreham the other day on my first kind of um, cross country. I've been doing a bit bit of nav in the local area. We went down to Shoreham and uh, I've got a lot of family in Brighton around the area and it was really good visibility and we could see the Isle of Wight as we were coming down um, over the downs. And yeah, that, that, I mean, the idea of just popping there, well, that actually feels like, you know, when you've got, a, as we are talking about earlier, a 300 quid cup of tea or, uh, <laughs> or lunch, at least if you go... It's almost worth it in the Isle of Wight. It feels like you're going a bit further, because at least you're going across the sea a little bit. <laughs> it's harder to get there by car. <laughs> and what are you finding most difficult? Are you struggling with anything particular, Richard, or are you finding it all very easy? Well, no, I mean, the the flying bit I always found fairly, the actual, um, you know, controlling of the aircraft, I always found fairly natural and really enjoyed that. It's something that I've wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, so that hasn't been too tough. It's the management of everything else. And I think it's it's getting your brain to be able to cope with the navigation, the radio, uh, the planning, all of those things, whilst also flying the aircraft. That's the tricky part. Um, and as as you probably know, when you first get in it, the idea of even going solo in the circuit scares the hell out of you. Uh, and that that moment when you actually do that, as everybody told me, is something that I'll never forget. I mean, it's so incredible when you lift off. Obviously, the the um, airplane's a lot lighter than. It was without your instructor there, and then you're up there on your own. Um, it's so exhilarating. You mentioned the radio there. You are, of course, famously the most played band on radio for 2006. Apparently, your songs were played every five minutes. So I'd have thought you'd be quite good on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point. If only the two in hand in hand. It's just doing that whilst flying. I don't normally have to fly a plane. Well, I never play while doing that. I know you can't keep him off the radio though. He's always on yeah. the radio. But um, no, I fly out of um, Denham, EGLD, down in London, which uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a really nice, nice little place. Because you have to navigate the edge of the Heathrow zone there, don't you? Well, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on. The circuits at 750 feet, um, and yeah, you have to. There's you know you're right. You're actually inside the Heathrow zone, you're so right, yeah. you've got to 
keep, keeps you on your toes. Richard, um, in case our listeners don't know, you're uh, quite famously married to the singer Sophie Ellis-Bexter, aren't you? I am, yeah. And you've worked together on the new album. You've, uh, you've done a track together, haven't you? That's right, yeah. There's a duet on the new album um, with Sophie. Was that okay? I mean, you know, it could be a bit difficult, husband and wife, working together, but no problems? Oh, it's fine. I mean, we, we actually met by working together originally, many years ago, so um, we're used to that, but... It was a it was a totally natural thing. The song um, that Dan had written, the way that we'd produced it, and the way it was sounding, and the way that the the lyric that he'd wrote just really we knew straight away it would suit her voice and her style, and we put her voice down on it, and it was it's kind of perfect. So it was very it was just yeah, it was fun. So she'll perform and make music with you, but here's the question: Will she fly with you when you pass? That's a good. She's question. actually quite looking forward to it, but <laughs> we we're both quite into funfair rides and all this kind of thing. So I think she's, you know, she's not, she's not scared or squeamish about those things. Although I think she should learn. I want to get. I heard about these um, packages they do where yeah, the partner kind of learning That's right, thing. Yeah. Where you do ten hours of, you learn to land basically, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking of uh, getting her that because it, it's definitely wise as we're saying to have someone else. Well, absolutely. We were talking to Nick Mason and his wife and him both fly. They both fly helicopters as well. And um, I'm just really jealous because they get to, you know, they use it as like their family vehicle now. It's ridiculous. Well, Nick Mason, of course, friend of the podcast. He was on uh, edition three, I think. Oh, uh, really? So, yeah, we've well, beaten you to it, boys. He's beaten you to it. Yeah, no, I've had many, many long chats with him about his general flying um, adventures that he's had. Yeah. He's a great guy. Seems really interesting because his interest is motorsport and everything Anything with, with an engine. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Anything with an engine. Yes, that's right. Uh, he said as well it's more exhilarating flying than it is playing in the band. What do you guys think? Well, I would say, and I said this to my instructor at the time, going first solo for me was the same feeling and experience as when we played uh, Wembley Stadium, the Diana concert. It was a very similar kind of level of uh, adrenaline and all of that. There's a lot of, at stake, isn't there? A lot of stake. You know, when we, we did the Diana gig... Um, few years ago and there was no sound check and we walked on stage and the guy the producer said just before we went on okay there's about a billion people watching this on tv <laughs> and seventy thousand in the actual stadium um and and everyone we knew watching yeah, and our yeah. whole career on the line and yeah that would and, been... and we went out with that kind of level of adrenaline and and uh, and played and it was once we were out there we had a great time but going solo was the same kind of feeling to be fair though you're not gonna die are you if you muck a gig up yeah but it well, feels like it virtually. that gig yeah that, that, that gig, <laughs> i would probably have just died that would have been just, the end of the career if it had gone wrong you know yeah they don't kill it and it was because there's a similar level of concentration you know when you're on stage you've got to make sure that everything's right you're you know you're focusing you know you're, you're kind of playing the guitar and you're doing the lyrics and you're making sure you're singing in tune and you're making sure that all the sounds are correct and and in many ways it's, it's that multifaceted thing that's that why a lot, a lot of musicians are quite comfortable with flying because we we get quite used to, used to multitasking and, and working under pressure you know and that's kind of a similar kind and of also thing. we quite like that it's yeah, that, that we thing. like the thrill, you know, that, that, like that's a similar thing, yeah. And it's also a bit of showing off, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, all, all people in bands like showing off. All pilots like showing off. Yeah. Well, yeah, we like well. showing off. We like showing off. Oh, it's a kind of boyhood dream as well come true. Yeah. And a boyhood dreams are like being in bands and flying. I've got to say, guys, um, I think you should re-record some of your records to uh, make them into flying hits. Yes, okay, okay here you we could go. You could have re-record uh, Sewn. As flown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got me flown. And of course, there's your hit, I love it when you call, which could be, I love it when you stall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I've still got it. Richard and Dan from The Feeling, thank you for coming in and being our first pair of celebrity pilots. Thanks for having us. Flaps Podcast. It's like going around with Carb Heat Hot. 
If you've never been to the Runway Visitor Park at Manchester Airport, well, you probably should. Not only have they got a brilliant spotting area where you can go and watch the massive Airbus A380 take off. Did you take your notebook? No, Mark. Did you take your camera? No, Mark. Did you get any spots? Shut up now. Uh, they've also got some brilliant aircraft to go and have a look at. There's a Nimrod, uh, an Avro RJX, a Trident, a DC-10, and, of course, their very own Concorde, Golf Bravo Oscar Alpha Charlie. You mean BOAC? Yeah, it was the flagship of the fleet. Uh, and quite brilliantly for aviators, they do a technical tour. So Flaps went to find out more. So we're in Manchester at the uh, Runway Visitor Centre. Uh, and if you've never been, it's, uh, it's great for plane spotters and lovers of any kind of aviation. But if you, if you love the Concorde, well, you're in for a treat. You have to come to this place. Uh, I'm stood inside now. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, but uh, stood inside in a hangar looking at an amazing aircraft uh, with one of the guys who looks after it and takes people around. Uh, one of the guides, uh, Ross Williamson. Uh, this uh, this Concorde, as I said, is indoors. Uh, there's there's a, a hangar's been specially constructed for the for the old girl. It has. When it arrived back in 2003, they did the decommissioning work, and it sat on the same tarmac it's on today for five years. And the plan was always to hangar it. And back in 2009, the hangar was completed, and it's fabulous. So we're just going into uh, Concorde. Now, what's the uh, what's the registration of this one? This is uh, this is wasn't this a flagship one? It was. This is Golf Bravo Oscar Alpha Charlie. That's uh, construction numbers two hundred four. This was the first production aircraft off the Bristol line. It wasn't the first Concorde to be delivered to British Airways. That was um, Alpha Alpha. What this one did was spend its first year basically flying between London, the Middle Far East, and London and the States, part of the endurance and testing program. So it was actually delivered in February nineteen seventy six. And uh, we've just walked in, and it is very small. It's not. It's, well, it isn't very small, is it? But it's it's, it's not big by uh, sort of people get on holiday jets. You expect a, you know a bigger cabin than this. It's only two seats a side, isn't it? How many seats are there in total? There are a hundred. What you've got is two cabins. So the back cabin is the same as the front. It's a one-class aeroplane, but there are sixty seats in the back, forty seats in the front, and every seat is exactly the same. So it's a, it's a good thirty-seven-inch seat pitch. We're just walking past the toilets now, and they're they're, they're no different really to a, a normal aircraft are they? No they're, they're small. Um, if you look around the aeroplane in general after the Paris crash there were plans to do a, a refurb. I was expecting at least gold taps. Well. Yeah, or soft toilet paper. What's the toilet paper like? Oh it's just normal stuff <laughs> Ross. Well it's, some things you've got to have. The new washrooms the design was nice it's very minimalist. A single tap in that new washroom was going to cost them a thousand pounds and you look at the size of the tap so that's just ridiculous. And Obviously, of course, this is a sort of technical tour we're doing, but equally we like a bit of showbiz. Who's been on this aircraft? Everybody. Again, we'd, we've had a few of the cabin crew come along and they'll tell you all sorts of stories about the Queen, where the Queen sat. And they just Has the Queen been on this one? The Queen has flown on uh, a couple of Concords. Wow. So it's, uh, it's one of the... Which seat? 1A. Of course, Mum. of course. But, um, it's one of those things you can say, uh, I've been on the... The Concorde with the Queen. Where to next? Uh, flight deck, I think. Oh, flight deck. Going to the flight deck now. The business end. Okay, I think it's fair to say I am in aircraft geek heaven now. And I'm in the captain's chair. Oh, Ross, I love you. Thank you very much. Another great thing about our Concorde is you can do this. We're sat on the flight deck of Alpha Charlie and you can't do this in any other Concorde anywhere in the world. It's a unique opportunity. It's um, incredibly complicated, you know, 
and and manual dials, isn't it? There's no computers on board. Well, I mean, there are computers, but not computers as you'd understand them now. And there's no glass cockpit or you know screens. No, that's right. We had um, an Emirates triple seven pilot just a couple of days ago. He came in on a standard tour, did the tour, got him on the flight deck, and I couldn't get him off. <laughs> so he's basically sat here looking at all the dials, photographing each individual instrument. If you're, a, well, I'd say a recent recruit to flying, you will be used to the, well, the glass cockpit, you know, the multifunction displays. To see all these analogue dials, and there are hundreds of them, is a, oh, a bit of a treat. Well, I mean, I, I, I can fly a, just a, you know, a, a Cessna, and actually it's got the six-pack of normal instruments. You, you look at that, and, you know, the thing I learned to fly on was probably about 40 years old, and it's, you, you, it, it's the same kind of... OK, there's a lot more of them, but it's a similar lot of instruments. Well, exactly. You, you always need to know the, the basic information, don't you? Your yeah. speed, your height, direction. Um, but it's, it's crammed in because it's quite a confined space, so it does look very busy. But uh, it's the same skill. You scan the instruments... You're looking for the same things. So I could fly this then? In theory. <laughs> <laughs> Should we have a go? So, what, I mean, what, is there anything here that, that is non-standard? I mean, obviously there's the dials for, you know, the, the airspeed. I mean, my, my Cessna never, never went to Mac 2, I'll be honest. <laughs> oh, it's uh, probably a bit faster than the old Cessna. <laughs> um, some of the instruments are a little bit different. You've got strip instruments instead of the, the standard dials, just to save a bit of space. Uh, you'd have TCAS, of course. Uh, what you won't see on most other airplanes is, well, this particular instrument here, it's, a, it's an instrument to show you where the centre of gravity of the aeroplane is. And the big challenge with Concorde is you accelerate, you get two points, the centre of balance and centre of lift, actually begin to move apart. And it happens with most aircraft, but by a small amount. Or with Concorde, if you did nothing, you'd have a six-foot difference. So the nose would actually pitch quite steeply down. What you've got to do with the centre of gravity is keep that centre of gravity moving back in line with the centre of lift. And to do that, you're transferring fuel from the front and, and wingtip tanks to the back tank. And we've actually got a massive flight engineer's panel on Concorde. It's got to be the most complex flight engineer's panel you'll ever see. And the whole centre section, literally, it's a good, I'd say, best part of 30% of the panel. I mean, it's literally floor to ceiling, isn't it? It is. The, the panel is uh, it's massive. But the 30% the of that panel is dedicated for managing that fuel. And it can transfer fuel between any of those tanks. I heard as well, we, we interviewed some um, some guys who flew this, a couple of uh, ex-Concorde captains. They said one of the problems with uh, flying the aircraft and being in the cabin is because it expanded so much because of the heat during the, the, the flight. You have to be careful where you put things. If you put something into a crevice, <laughs> you might not be able to get it back when you landed. Absolutely. Um, the actual point you could see the expansion was on the engineer's panel. At the extreme right of it, there's a blue label that says cabin secured takeoff. Now, as we stand on the ground today, the two panels actually meet, there is no gap between those panels. But once you're in the air, as you accelerate through the speed of sound, you get kinetic heating take place. So the air friction begins to build up, mm. the aircraft gets hot. Solid temperatures you're talking about on the tip of the nose up to 127 degrees Celsius. Passing the flight deck windows 100 degrees, so the boiling point of water. Yeah. That of course is going to cause the aircraft to grow. And I've got a, a photo here that shows a flight engineer, and you can see he's got his fingers right the way up to the, the knuckles inside the gap. Yeah, it's, uh, he literally is right up to the knuckles. I'll just go and let's, let's look at the, the, the gap now that you're talking about. And uh, I can confirm there is literally, you can't even get your finger in there at the moment, and he's got his whole hand in there. So that what's that? That's about two or three inches of expansion? Around about an inch. And um, if you look at the second photo I have here, it shows uh, an engineer's hat. <laughs> it's been very carefully placed inside the gap. This was done on the very last flight of Concorde. 
and a couple of engineers did it. So you can see a couple of Concords around the world with the caps in place. So we've moved outside now. It was hard to drag ourselves away. Uh, I had a little sit in the Queen's seat. Sorry, Mom. I hope that doesn't uh, interfere with the knighthood or anything. Well, actually, you've done the honours list, so I was missed out <laughs> again. So, you know, I'm not so fussed. Uh, we've moved down to the pointy end. Looking up at that, that's, that, that is a beautiful sight. It is. It's, um, again, one of the things we, we stress is the shape. It's a unique shape. It's got to be a very long, thin nose because that allows you to break that, that pressure cone of air that builds up on the tip of the nose as you uh, go through the speed of sound. But you can see from here, it gives you the big challenge because we're, we're standing under now the nose of Concorde that's 24 feet long. So imagine you're sat on the flight deck looking out through the window, there's 24 feet of nose ahead of you. And you can see quite clearly the curved line on the side and there's a line that runs underneath across the aircraft. That's the hinge. And it's always amazing for people to see just how long that nose was. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you stand right, at the, which you can do, of course, here, you can stand right at the tip of the nose underneath the aircraft and just look down. And that is, that's a hell of a view, isn't it? That, you know, the, the delta wing and just the shape, that iconic shape and looking into those engine cowlings. That's, it's a beast. It's a magnificent view. It is. It's, on the tours, we always bring people to this point and just say to them, just look back and appreciate the shape. Because you're right, from here you can see the whole of Concorde. And it's incredible. So, um, I see it every day, but standing here now, it's the same feeling as it was seven years ago. Behind the registration, GBOAC, you've got the large fuel tank into which you pump the fuel to trim the aircraft. And you get a lovely view of the, uh, the tail wheel. So not many airplanes in the world have four sets of wheels, four undercarriages. But of course, Concorde did. And the whole aim of that, if you're coming into land or taking off, you over-rotate. Well, you're not going to catch the, not the back of the aeroplane, it's more the backs of those secondary nozzles. You've got to protect those. So you catch the wheels before you hit the nozzles. I suppose it's like a set of stabilisers, isn't it? Um, yes, yeah, <laughs> it's, I suppose it is. The big challenge was that once you've caught those, there is no escape because it sounds an alarm on the flight deck and the aircraft has to be checked once you get back to base. And you'd be in a bit of trouble then. You would. If you and the ribbing from the other pilots. Well, you would, but you ask the pilots never use those wheels. If you ask the engineers, you'll get a slightly different story. <laughs> of course. Everything about Concorde, really, is it's, it, it, it's all kind of big numbers, isn't it? Or firsts, or the, you know, the best of this or the best of that. It's, um, I mean, as you said, it is a compromise, but equally things aren't compromised, are they? The, the materials certainly aren't, the build quality. No, that's right. The, the metal it's made from is it's not standard aircraft aluminium, it's hidiminium. And there's about 2.5% copper, a bit of zinc, a bit of magnesium, and it copes with the creep if you go through the speed of sound you get the heat building up you've got hot metal a lot of stress and of course when you slow down it contracts so over a short period of time normal aircraft aluminium it's going to crack but um, the hidden aluminium resists that cracking so there was that you've got to paint it I imagine you've got it's got a different type of paint doesn't it it has it's it's um it's a flexible paint basically so imagine you've got an aircraft that's going to grow eight inches every time it flies so your paint has got to cope with that contraction expansion so it's a special paint, it's about two and a half times as thick and it would grow with the aircraft and contract back and reflect off a fair bit of the heat you got when you went supersonic. So it's, a, it's just an incredible, really is an incredible bit of engineering. It is an incredible bit of engineering and what, 40, 50 years old technology? Absolutely. And we still haven't beat it? No. It's, today it will take you between six and a half and eight and a half hours to go from London to New York. Fastest time Concorde ever did that journey in was two hours, 52 minutes, 59 seconds. 
It's amazing. It's an amazing exhibition as well. Uh, if, uh, if you're anywhere near Manchester Airport, actually even if you're not anywhere near Manchester Airport, come and visit it because if you love aircraft and, uh, and who doesn't love Concorde, let's be honest, uh, you'll have a fantastic time here. Thank you ever so much for showing us around. It, it's, it's an amazing bit of kit and an amazing job you've got, Ross. I think it's fair to say we're a bit jealous. It's a tough job, but somebody has to do it. If you need anyone to come and help you dust the wings... <laughs> We're here at Flaps. I'll give you a call. <laughs> Thank you ever so much for showing us around, uh, Alpha Charlie. It's a great pleasure. Very good report, that. Thank you very much, Dad. Do I get my birthday present now as a, not, as a treat? Not till the end oh, of the podcast, thanks, Elliot. Thanks, Now, we've got a new thing on Flaps where we can give you Elliot's full length. I beg your pardon? It's 45 minutes long in total. Oh, you mean Flaps extended? Yes. wonder what on earth you're on about then. Uh, yes, that you only heard about 12, 13 minutes there, but there is 45 lovely minutes of Concorde technical tour in loads of detail. We talk about the fuel a bit more. We talk about the wheels. We talk. We just go around the whole plane. It's absolutely brilliant. So if you go... Go to the website and uh, click on the Concorde Flaps Extended bit. You'll hear all of it, and it's great. Flaps Podcast. Make sure you listen every month. Elliot, how many landings have you done in the past 12 months? Um, unlike you, Mark, I don't carry my logbook around with me, so I'm not sure. I can check if you want, though. OK, the past 12 days. I don't know. Uh, the past 12 hours. Oh, 47. <laughs> OK, I don't believe you, because our next guest here right now, Mike Roberts, the boss of Take Flight Aviation at Wellsbourne, has broken a record. He's done 68 landings in one day, and he's here now. Hi, Mike. Hello. Yet to be verified, but yes. Well, you don't say that, <laughs> otherwise we'll have to throw you out and this is all be completely pointless. So, um, it's, well, when you say it's got to be verified, what needs to happen? Well, Guinness World Records have all sorts of demands about you must supply them with a video of so much per hour and you must uh, have a stopwatch and this, that and the other and a whistle at the start and a whistle at the end and all sorts of crazy things, but... If they verify it, yeah, a world record. You didn't have to have Norris McQuirter in the plane with you at all times, and then Roy Castle, oh, well, he's not here <laughs> no, anymore, he's is there, he? Bless no. him. Do you know what? If, if you want Guinness to come and watch it for you, you have to pay him three and a half grand a day. No. Three and a half grand a day. And if you don't do it, you've got to pay him for the next day as well. That seems crazy. So, so once it's all over, how, when will you know? When, how, how long is that going to take? Well, I haven't sent the stuff off yet. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> You can right. see I'm keen. Yeah, this, this this all sounds a little bit kind of ad hoc. Was it one of those sort of random ideas that you had and it got a bit out of control? No, well, it started as a Dawn to Dusk challenge. It's an annual competition called Dawn to Dusk, uh, which runs every year between Dawn and Dusk, funnily enough. And you can do whatever you want, any sort of theme you want, as long as it's aviation, obviously. Um, and I just came up with the idea as, as a sort of slightly drunk guest last year. Uh, what could we do? What about just landing at as many airfields as possible? Then found out there was a world record. And what was the date you did this? It was the longest day. Now you see, that's see, why you've done it, you see. see clever. Thinking ahead, aren't 21st you? 21st of June, 2011. So what time, what time did you take off? I was a bit late turning up. <laughs> Good start then. So you could have uh, got a couple more in. I could have got a couple more in. Uh, I started at quarter to five in the morning. Uh, it didn't matter being a bit late, actually, because we couldn't actually get into Duxford, which was one of the airfields, until nine, and that was sort of about, I don't know, 12, 15, around the route. I don't know now. So you, you, and you started from where? Started from Wellsbourne okay. in Warwickshire. And then, obviously, don't go through all of them, but, okay. uh, but give us some highlights. Well, there's a couple of, um, there's a couple of fairly four, uh, small farm strips. Uh, the, the qualification to get in the Guinness Book of Records is it has, has to be on a CAA chart or in one of the major publications, basically. So it has to be an airfield that's on the chart or recognised as an airfield. And what was the record previously? It was 62. 62. Done by two pilots, I hasten to add, in 24 hours. So this was done by me, more or less dawn to dusk, but, but a couple extra. And you're not counting... You didn't, you didn't bounce land. You're not counting those as two no, landings, you, are you? You had, you had to uh, do a full-stop landing at each airfield right, okay. and take a picture. So um, unless you've 
done something very clever here. What were the landing fees like? Well, the landing fees were free because we wrote to them all beforehand, told them we were doing it for charity, and um, they let us off. Even We even went into Birmingham um, at the, on the, as the last one, which wasn't planned, and they let us off too. Was that the biggest one you landed at? Uh, I think it probably was. I did write to Heathrow, but got no reply, funnily <laughs> enough. Uh, went into Norwich as a fuel diver, because we were getting a little bit behind and we needed some fuel, so went into Norwich, which is quite big. Uh, Cambridge is quite big. Um, Oxford's quite big, no, Oxford, London, as it's called now. What was the Oxford, Oxford, London? Yeah, yes, that's yeah. right. What was the, um, how long before it becomes Wellsbourne, London? What was the, uh, what was the smallest airfield you flew into? There were some really nice little farm strips. Uh, one guy came and um, said, oh, we never had anybody as big as you in before. <laughs> only, <laughs> only in a PA-28. Um, that was really nice. A little one called Pittsford, which is by Sywell. But it's a really nice little farm strip right by a lake. Fields covered in poppies all around it. It nice. was gorgeous. gorgeous. Any, any interesting landings? Uh, no, of course not. No, <laughs> I did have one from um, uh, a manor house somewhere up in East Anglia somewhere. This guy who'd got a beautiful um, manor house with a farm strip complete with lights, and I sort of misread what he put on the on the permission to land there. I thought he said something about deer Mike. It's actually there was deer Mike, <laughs> <laughs> and there were deer literally sort of ro- roaming around the runway. So that was fun. Now you you did this as a solo pilot, but was anybody in the aircraft with you operating on another radio yeah. or? Well, I was supposed to have um, another pilot with me, but they pulled out for some reason. <laughs> um, so it was in the end, it was me and a student pilot who was just there to press the video button. It was just to sort of prod me if I fell asleep, really. Right. Okay. And but did she, you did you fall asleep? Sorry? I didn't fall asleep at all. No, I did all the radio, all the nav, all the flying was done by me. I'm afraid. Yeah. And did you use full credit. Did you use charts or GPS? I used the GPS. Cool. I've got so yeah. How did you plan this? I mean, it's a hell of a job with a, a ruler and a so I'm assuming you didn't. Well, that's my chart. I'm going to hold it up for radio purposes. Yeah, they are perfect. Yeah. Um, you can see it's a bit of a zigzag line. I just looked on the map and found as many airfields as I could that were fairly close together. And it sort of goes sort of eastward from, from Wellsbourne, really. Did you not uh, use anything one, like, like Sky Demon online or anything like that no, to do it all? Somebody else got involved with that and helped me do that afterwards. But I actually did the, the initial <laughs> planning. <laughs> the initial planning was done on a proper chart and, uh, you know, proper working it that's out very like good. that. By that's, hand. that's very impressive. Mm. And, and, I mean, how, how long did it take you? From from you know from starting off to finishing. Well, we'd we'd actually broken the world record before dusk fell, which was yeah. sort of about quarter to ten. So we'd done sixty six, I think, as we took off, as literally two minutes before night fell, and then did uh, Oxford and Birmingham just to add a couple to it. And to uh, and how much it. how much fuel? We did. I've got it written down here because it's a bit of an anarchy thing to talk. I knew you'd ask the questions like that. I think it was five hundred and fifty liters we used altogether. Blimey. It's quite a lot, isn't it? It yeah. is quite a lot. And it was, hard, it was hard to work out that before because we didn't really know what it was going to use on the ground. Um, I could work out the flying time between the locations, but you don't know how much time you're going to spend trying to find the of airfield yeah, yeah, yeah. or doing circuits or at Norwich, you know, waiting for big commercial traffic to come in. And when we went to Birmingham, they said it's right up north of the city before we came back down to land at Birmingham, so... And what does your logbook look like now? It must be quite impressive. You must, you know, you must have almost had to staple extra pages in. There was like three pages worth of, uh, you know, of logbook and three pages worth of tech log. It's quite, yeah, it's quite good. Bit at the beginning, details of airfields visited. It's like see extra sheets. I never filled that bit in. I think Anorak filled that in. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to see his? his Yeah, yeah, he loves all that. Yeah. But someone did say though, you probably a lot of pilots wouldn't visit sixty-eight airfields. In their whole flight no, career, right. so to do it in a day is quite good. Yeah, it's quite good for. And how was the plane? How did how did she behave? The plane was great, actually. It was absolutely fine. Yeah, five hundred fifty liters of fuel. Uh, we were airborne for eleven hours and nineteen minutes. Though the whole trip was eighteen hours and forty three minutes. 
if you can, at the time on the ground as well. So you basically revalidated. You've done your 12 hours or whatever in a day. Almost did my 12 hours in a day, yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And the weather was okay? It was a good day for flying? It was pretty good, yeah. We had one bit when it got a bit cloudy and we had to go above the clouds for a second and we sort of moved around above the clouds just where we were at Cranfield and talked to Luton Radar and they kept us going and uh, then eventually got back down through the cloud and... So have you got any plans for the future? Are you going to try and make it 70 next year? I, I reckon it could be done, and it could be done more so. It was it was a bit of a, you know, getting the, the pen out one night and drawing it on the map, and I reckon you could probably do 100 in a day if you tried really hard. You can hard. see you want to do this, can't you? This is, this is, become a, this is, this is going to haunt you now, what I want to this, see... is gonna, this is going to be every year. It's going to get worse and worse. I want to see. <laughs> you did all this in the longest day. I want to see how many you can do in the shortest day. It's a good idea. Why don't you do that? The 21st. You guys could do that. Uh, listen, congratulations. Well, we've, Thank we're you. saying congratulations. It hasn't actually been validated yet, but I'm sure it will be. That's just a formality, isn't it? It's just a formality. I hope Please so. Please tell me you've got the, all the evidence, otherwise I've, it's well, all been a waste the, of time. The evidence was the sort of the logbook, the tech log. We've got a book of coordinates that were taken every six seconds, so a book of 122 pages worth of, of co- coordinates, <laughs> um, which you can read if you like. Um, we've got a video of each landing to prove that we were there and landed a, and a photograph from each airfield which you can find in this, in this, this book. That's fantastic. Well, all I, I would just wish I brought my trumpet along because I could have played it then and gone, you're a record breaker. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Why don't you sing the whole song? No, you're all right, Mike. Okay. It's Pet PPL. Flaps. Well, we hope you're enjoying our birthday flaps. That sounds a bit weird. It does sound very wrong, actually. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Do you want me to give you the bumps? What, one of your rubbish landings? Oh, shut up. Uh, 68 landings in a day. You just heard from Mike there. From a man who's done 68 in a day to someone who's probably never done 68 68 in his life. Uh, We go now to our pet PPL. Not heard from him for a bit, but he's got big, exciting news. Hello, Carl. Hi, guys. So how's it all going? Are you still enjoying it? Yeah, I am. It's, uh, it's it's gone quite well, really. I mean, I think uh, oh, last time we spoke, I was just about to start doing NAV. Well, let me just say, the last time we spoke, right, you were you just d- done some circuits. Yes. And I spoke to your wife, and she said she went to the airfield with you one day, listening on the radio, and heard you talking about it being touch and go. And she was well, that was re- it. She was really worried about <laughs> it. And afterwards, yeah. she found out what touch and goes are. Yeah, she thought it was a bit touch and go for, you know, about... Curiously enough, about every seven minutes, it was a bit touch and go. <laughs> but since then, you've uh, you've got out the circuit and tell us what you're doing. Well, um, I guess where I'm up to, I, d- I did my cross country actually probably about a month ago now. What so. you qualifier? Yeah. Oh. Where did you go? Um, so from where I fly, Tayton Hill down to Gloucester, right. land, land at Gloucester, and then over to Leicester, uh, and then back to base. Oh, that's not a bad old route. That's all. That's okay. Did you find it all all right? Yeah, it, it was all right. I mean, I think, uh, I think mm, it was one of those days when you went up and you know what it's been, I, I generally fly on a Sunday and you know what it's been like at the weekends recently. It's been pretty windy. Yeah. Um, so I went up and I thought, there's no way he's going to let me go today. But he did let me go. Wow. Um, and then when I landed at Leicester, it was gusting to 32. Ooh. And I got an almighty bollocking from the guy that signed the certificate there. <laughs> They said, they said you should never have gone off today, which completely shattered my confidence. But he still signed it, Carl. He still signed it, so it doesn't matter. And did you get lost? Sorry, uncertain of position. No, I didn't actually. I've, I've not yet been uncertain of position, luckily. 
when I did my qualifying cross country, I was um, I flew into I flew to Gloucester as well actually, and coming in lined up to land at Gloucester, and I was about thirty seconds from touchdown. And um, my mobile phone started to ring, right? <laughs> which is the last thing I wanted. But I let it ring out. And when, I, when I'd finally stopped and, and, and turned the engine off, I looked at the phone. It was my instructor who was calling to tell me something very important. He'd forgotten to give me the piece of paper that has to be filled in so <laughs> to say you've been there. Can you come back and get it? <laughs> so I, thankfully they faxed it over and that did the trick. But it was, thank you, Damon. So how many hours are you up to now, Cole? Um, I think it's probably about 35-ish, something like that. Oh, we're getting quite close now. Are you brushing up on a revision for your skills test? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I think it's a, it's a case of sort of knocking off the remaining exams now and just sort of reacquainting myself with things that, you know, I kind of did about a year ago, like stalls. Um, yeah, they're quite like important. A long time. And, uh, and, and, and how many exams have you got left to do, written exams? Um, I think I've just got the three. What have you got left? Um, can, can, can we guess? Let's try and guess, right? Uh, I bet he won't have done human performance. Correct. Um, um, met, because that's that's horrible. No, I did met. You've done met, okay. Um, technical uh, aircraft, technical one. Yeah, that one. Um, give us a clue. What's it start with? Uh, well, it, it's 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 kind of, it's kind of very similar to the aircraft technical one. Um, um, oh, um, we shouldn't be allowed in aeroplanes. <laughs> we forgot it all. Go on, go on. help us, us out, Carl. Hey, on, 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 on the previous times we've done this, it's been you guys asking me the question. Yeah, well, yeah but you're better than us now. The, the pupil has become the master, Carl. It's a bit like Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off. So go on, give us a clue. Um, flight planning performance. Flight planning and performance. performance. I don't even remember. I don't think I ever took that one. (laughs) Should we hand our licences in? I don't remember doing that one. (laughs) Well, listen, we wish you well. And have you got any idea when you're going to finish? Um, well, I was hoping to try and finish before um, baby due date. As my, my oh, wife. that's it. Oh, because pet PPL is going to be a, ba- a ba- baby daddy soon. Well He's going to be a yeah, well big daddy in the sky. Fantastic. Will you be allowed to take the baby in the plane, or has your wife def- definitely put a no-no on that? No, I think that's a big no-no. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely a boy who's going to learn to fly, isn't it? No, it, it, it yeah, will be, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Called Biggles. Have you told her yet? <laughs> you want to suggest that as a name? That's brilliant when you're going through the baby names. Biggles. Brilliant. Love it. But- uh, listen, mate, good luck. Yes, thank you. Uh, keep us up to date with it all, and hopefully it won't be too long, because actually if, if we leave it if we leave it this long, you know, again, you'll probably be like, you know, captain for BA by the time we get to speak to you. <laughs> actually, you've got the added pressure, haven't you? Because you've surely got to got to get past before the baby is, is born. Because yeah, well, once got... that happens, I know what your life's going to be like. Yeah, I've got a couple of months to, uh, you know, to do that, and it, it kind of depends on the weather a little bit. Yeah, because really, a, a baby buggy is, is about what? That's about five flying lessons, that is, isn't oh, it? Yes, <laughs> of course. And, and the rest. <laughs> Listen, mate, good luck, with it. Oh, good luck with the baby as well. Yes, thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Pet thank PPL. You Cheers, bye-bye. It's Mason's Minute. I would like to start a bit of a crusade to try and persuade pilots of all persuasions to be nicer to each other. When I was a fighter pilot in the Royal Air Force, then we used to eat razor blades and broken glass and would regularly growl at each other on our way out to aeroplanes to practice and carry out air combat exercises and range practice where we would strafe targets and bomb targets and if there was any way that we could steal a march on pilots going out to do exactly the same thing and get a better score than the next pilots then we would and um, I have known ground crew to hold sweepstakes whereby practice bombs which weighed either three kilograms or 28 pounds depending on um, 
what sort of mission you were going to do. The 28-pounders, we used to sort of lob them towards the target and the lighter three-kilogram bombs were dropped in a level attack. But uh, I have known ground crew actually put bits of sticky tape on the bombs so that the uh, delayed action uh, mechanism to release it would just keep the bomb hanging up for a split second. And when you're doing 800 feet a second, it does affect the accuracy of the weaponry. So very fierce, very competitive, very grrr. And then, of course, at the end of the day, we'd be in the pub when we weren't close to the aeroplanes and we would drink beer and we would be thoroughly nice to each other. But sometimes at flying clubs, I get a little bit upset with the big I ams who walk around the place as though they own it. They've got 30, 40, 50 hours on whatever they're flying. They could have three or four or 500 hours on whatever they're flying. And they seem to want to strut their stuff and be admired. The sport of aviation, the sport of light aviation, really is there for all of us to enjoy. And part of that enjoyment, surely, is not just trying to persuade other folks that you really are better than anybody else since flying was invented, but to just try and persuade folks that it's there for all of us. And if we can offer one small bit of experience that improves someone else's enjoyment of flying, then surely it's good for us all. Thanks, Pablo. Is that a bit too preachy? That's never a minute. Thanks, Pablo. Very good. What's that all about? (laughs) Uh, So thank you very much for listening and uh, hope you've enjoyed our first birthday flaps podcast. Can we open our presents now? In a minute, in a minute. Oh, all right then. Okay, get in touch with us, please. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us. Mail at flapspodcast.com. You can tweet us. We are at Flaps Podcast. Or you can like us on Facebook. That's not so snappy. Go to Facebook and search for Flaps Podcast. Can we open these presents then? Oh, if you want to. I can't believe you bought me a present. Thanks, I can't mate. believe you bought me one. Thank oh, no. you very much. Well, shall I go first? Yes. Okay, here we go. Like the paper, by the way. It was very good. Every expense spared there. <laughs> That's right. Thanks for that. Oh, right. It's your old whiz wheel. Well, I don't use it. I thought you might want it. Right. Thanks, Mark. Anyway, let me Thanks. see what I've got from you. Thanks, Elliot. It's your old whiz wheel. Yeah, well, I don't ever use it. Oh, useless. Next year, better present, please. Okay. The ruler, probably. <laughs> With a sense of disappointment hanging in the air, we leave you for this edition of Flaps Podcast and we'll be back next month with more of the same. Thanks for listening. We're ready for departure. See you next month. Thanks for listening to Flaps. Flaps.